August 1, Aaron, episode number 357. What? Rolling on. I'm excited to have another show with you here in August on Bass Edge Radio, talking with a phenomenal angler today. But lots to discuss. Yeah, lots to discuss. And Angler of the Year, you know, that coveted title that uh, most bass heads love to go after because it represents consistency. I guess that has officially been determined now, Kurt. Fighter walked away with it. He's just had a a really nice lead over the last three events and uh, clinched it there at the St. Lawrence River. So congratulations to Seth. We'll have to see if we can work Seth into the program here over the next month or so. I know he's going to be a busy media man for sure. No doubt. And of course, he would be a returning guest. And uh, we always like that because that means you're winning if you're doing that. And speaking of winning, something else that will help you uh, certainly win when you get to the water and don't experience breakdowns. And that is MegaWare Keelguard, proud partners of us since day one. Flex Step, Skate Guard, right? Protects the skate, keeps that from leaving that in the bottom of the lake when you hit something. And just <laughs> also from a protective measure like me pulling out of the garage. But uh, so many things there. Battery Guard, first do-it-yourself keel protector. Be sure visit them at keelguard.com. You know, speaking of the St. Lawrence, Kurt, we're we're actually taping just a couple days early because yep. uh, you have a an engagement, uh, a, a little event. I'll, I'll call it a little event, kind of a big event actually. But uh, you're going to be on the St. Lawrence River. Yeah, looking forward to the final pro circuit event there with Major League Fishing on on St. Lawrence. Aaron, I got to talk about pressure. How much pressure? is too much pressure. It's going to be interesting when I hit the water, and it's going to be even more interesting to see the events that are coming after me. But let me just break this down for all the listeners. Okay. You have um, first event up there this year, the Bass Pro Tour on the St. Lawrence River. And uh, we're, we're actually going to talk a little bit more about that later on in the show. We've got the top angler in the world on. Now. Just number one in the world. <laughs> just number one. From from the Bass Pro Tour being on the St. Lawrence, right as the season opened there in late June. Then you have the Elite Series on the St. Lawrence River, middle of July. Then you have the Bass Pro Tour on the St. Lawrence River at the end of July. Then you have a Toyota Series on the St. Lawrence River earlier in August. Then you have a Bassmaster College event on the St. Lawrence River, which always draws, you know, 100-plus boats, team, tournament. Then you have Bassmaster Open event on the St. Lawrence River. This doesn't throw in the BFLs that they have up there. Dude, this local place. local club tournaments or weekend, you know, recreational anglers or just normal pleasure boaters out on the water. Not to mention half of the river is off limits. You can't go fish the Canadian side. Wow. I might suggest, can we call an audible here and perhaps talk a little bit more about just, because I think you bring up a fantastic topic, right, that all of us perhaps deal with, but this is kind of at a whole nother level and work through perhaps how how do we handle that much fishing pressure? How are you going to handle, right, you know, yeah. when, when you hit the water? I, I think this is a topic that all of us have to deal with regardless if you fish tournaments or not. No doubt. So you've got a couple of those events, three of those events going going out of Messina, which is all the way down the river. You've got the Elite Series event going out of Waddington, which is 
don't want to say mid-river. It's definitely closer to Messina. Then you have the Bassmaster Open event, which is going out of Clayton. And it's an 80-mile river. And, of course, the lake is open in some of these events, not in other events. So it just depends on the rules of the particular tournament. So it is a huge body of water. But when you cut it in half, you know, then you really start talking about some of the pressure. And you talk about smallmouth bass. Smallmouth bass, in general, are a what I would consider a more fragile species when you know you're live well in the fish and, and that kind of thing. So you're going to have some mortality there. The local economy obviously plays a big role, and, and they want to have their tournaments in that local economy and have that impact in their area. So it's a wild deal, and I think most of this stuff is funded by the I Love New York campaign, and the state helps fund it because many of these communities up there are very small, can't really afford the price tag that many of these tournaments uh, request to have a host host the event and have that economic impact. Long story short is pressure, 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 pressure. Yeah, yeah. How do you go about – do you have to find the off-the-wall stuff? Do you just stay in the more you know obvious stuff because you figure there's more fish in those locations so they'll replenish better? The deeper bite typically uh, you know, that time of year is, is more prevalent than the shallow bite, but do you try to buck the trend? which we've seen several times in past events there and stay shallow in that in that style, you know, in the, in those tournaments. I'm not sure, Aaron. It's a big toss up and something I'm definitely going to have to consider uh, when I hit the water for for two days of practice up there on, on the St. Lawrence River. I feel like most of the pressure is is going to be mid river and toward Waddington, Messina area, just because that's where most of the tournaments have been. Maybe by the time I get there, not as much pressure between, say, the mouth of the river there at the lake and then you know down toward Alexandria Bay because it's so far from Waddington. But, man, that's a gamble to make that long run, right? So th- there's a, a lot of things in play. I'm not sure you could technique-wise get much more finesse than drop shotting and in the standard ways we catch smallmouth bass you know whether maybe you turn around and you go power fish throw a spinner bait up shallow stay up shallow with finesse hair jigs those types of things there's a lot of contemplation yeah on it well and hopefully this event that's coming up and uh hopefully you're able to unlock that code but uh definitely very very uh worthwhile topics and uh certainly now the wheels are turning um yes but uh, I'm interested to find out, Aaron, how, how is this pressure going to affect the fishery? It's, it's almost like the, you know, the Bassmaster number one lake in the country voted curse. You know, we've had that a few times where you got Rayburn was voted number one, and, and then it Amist- kind of struggled. Amistad back in the day. Right? Amistad back in the day. You had Toledo Bend rated number one, started, you know, then, then it kind of went downhill. Um, you know, so is St. Lawrence going to be kind of in that realm? <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, I think St. Clair went through that process uh, as well. but Well, and sometimes history shows that it can be, you know, a few years before you actually figure out what that pressure does to just the like the ecosystem like we talked about last time. But also yes. then as far as just immediate tournament results, you know, we'll see. We'll yeah. see. Yeah. Completely agreed. We, what we are going to see is uh, a great event. And now we are going to see a protecttheharvest.com tackle tip. Y'all stay tuned. We're going to have a great show. 
This episode is ProtectTheHarvest.com Tackle Tip with BASS Elite Series Angler, Matt Airy. Yeah, hey everyone. So I wanted to talk about real quick on uh, bluegill beds. You know, you hear guys talk about them all the time, but you don't necessarily hear guys talk about how to find them. Uh, you know, the best way in this day and age to locate bluegill beds is to use that side imaging, you know, especially when the water's not clear enough to actually visually see them. Now, if it is clear enough, where you want to look is turns, little corners going into pockets, protected areas that are typically flat and where the water's clean enough, you can look in anywhere from one to three feet of water and you can see them with your eyes. You know, a good pair of coats of sunglasses, good pair of polarized glasses, you'll be able to see those bluegill beds. Now, that being said, a lot of those bluegill like to spawn a little bit deeper too. When you're using your side imaging, same when you're visually looking, um, what they look like on your side imaging is, and you absolutely cannot mistake them, they look like a honeycomb, you know, like the cereal we ate when we were kids. They look like a little honeycomb. It's a bunch of little small depressions uh, knotted up real tight. And you can actually see, with our electronics now, you can actually see when those beds are actually loaded with bluegill. One thing to remember is that these bluegill will spawn all throughout the summer months, okay? There's multiple bluegill spawns. Typically, they revolve around different moon phases, but sometimes not, that's not necessarily true. Use your electronics, see if, see if when you find those beds, see if they actually have bluegill on them. A lot of times what will happen is a school of bluegill will move in, do their thing, they'll move out. Another school will move in and use the same beds. So look for those beds on your side engine. Look for them in small, flat, protected turns, corners, going into pockets, into small creeks. Uh, look for them visually, use your side imaging, and when you find them, I promise you there'll be some big fish around. But uh, use those tips to help you find those brim beds throughout the summer months. Matt Airy, BASS Elite Series Pro, awesome tips. Thank you so much. ProtectTheHarvest.com featured tackle tip. First by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and marine products. Visit lucasoil.com. Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Get pro-level performance with the Nitro Z18, the official boat of Major League Fishing. The Z18, with its nimble handling and versatility, sports many of the features in the larger boats in the line, like a Guardian Livewell, a heavily insulated cooler, dual 8-foot rod storage, and our smooth and fast NVT hull. Every Nitro boat is laid out to do one thing very well, catch fish. Enormous front decks up to 45 square feet on the Z21 allow maximum mobility when battling unruly bass and feature low-profile gunnels for ease of skipping, pitching, flipping, or landing fish. Nitro Performance Bass Boats, pure fishing machines. Kurt, it is that time of year, uh, only differences. Of course, we're talking a lot about uh, things getting back to the way they once were, and that is ICAST, right? It's the big tackle show this year down in Orlando again. You know, I've been to them in the past where they've kind of teeter-tottered back and forth between Vegas and, and Florida. But uh, it, it does have to kind of, I guess, bring some solace to a lot of your manufacturers and your representatives of being able to get together in person. Yep, you know, this happened last week, July 20 through 23 as you mentioned, down there in Orlando. Although it was successful to have in person, still 
not back to normal quite yet. <laughs> I, I would agree. Yeah, a lot, lot of manufacturers did not make the trip. You know, th- there's just some people that just aren't ready to dive in, and also in all the preparations that have to happen. You know, back in March and April, kind of getting ready for these shows. There was still some uncertainty, and a lot of the big manufacturers able to make the push. And I think a lot of smaller manufacturers that still went probably highlighted themselves a little bit more. Uh, Hayabusa did not go. Uh, Reigns did not go. But um, well, ICAST still interesting. Yeah, and Kurt, the other thing is I will tell you, I believe all of us have experienced that business as potentially being done much differently than what it was. We may never get back to the way things were because of just uh, the efficiencies of virtual and things like that. Now, do I believe that in-person is still a better result? You know, I don't yeah. know, but that's for each company to come up with. So, you know, maybe, I'm going to say yes. Yeah, yeah I, I <laughs> Without agree. a question of the doubt, yes. I do think you're going to see a generational change just because Very of, you know, where our, you know, 15 to 25 year olds are today and experiencing this in their short lifetime as of this moment, right, from where they're at and they're seeing these things. So definitely business is going to change, Aaron. I think for us, older guard, you know, that 35 to, you know, 65 year old, you know, before you retire, go off into the sunset, enjoy long walks on the beach. They they still see the value in in the person and they want that. I feel like the emotional connection, the physical connection of people they're doing business with and, and just being able to see product, touch product, you know, and, and, and work through those, those. Well, one thing that I will tell you is, is way more effective and that is trying to catch a bass in person versus virtually. (laughs) So anyway, but although uh, we're moving to that, we have the, forward-facing sonar. We're, we're doing <laughs> yeah, more virtual yeah. fishing before we actually get the bite nowadays, but uh, it's crazy how yeah. all these things are changing. Well, speaking um, of changing and, and kind of crazy, you know, the, the it seemed like the theme, and correct me if I'm wrong here, might have leaned more towards the, the finesse right at ICAST this year. Is, is that accurate? Or was there a big focus uh, you know, placed kind of on the finesse style of fishing. I see and did see more of that movement, no doubt. We've seen that for a couple years, but you're still having a lot of power fishing, bigger baits come out and, and lures. And I see more companies concentrating on anglers that want more bites. And, you know, the Ned Rig craze and, and the drop shot and the in the do you think that's because of uh you know and again i'm going out on a limb here do you think that has something to do with the major league fishing format of the more bites or do you think it's just from the standpoint of what we had talked about you know in our opening segment of fishing pressure i think that's part of you look at west coast crowded Southern California, you see a lot of finesse technique. Where do those come from? They come from Japan. Lots of people, lots of finesse techniques going on there because fish are highly pressured. We talked about in the last segment, St. Lawrence River, wild pressure. These things are all adjusting the way we fish. If you want to make, in my opinion, the Bassmaster Classic year after year after year, finesse is becoming more of a staple than power. There's a few guys still able to do it with power. The BBT, finesse guy. You look at Josh Bertrand. You look at Justin Lucas. You look at, I mean, freaking Bobby Lane is drop shotting at Lake Travis to finish second place to Jacob Wheeler. I mean, you've got to be more versatile now than ever, and finesse is taking you know, a bigger role 
in bass fishing. We see that through ICAST. Let me let me make a couple. Can you mind if I throw out a couple no, of things? No, please that do. Please saw do. there at ICAST. Z-Man coming out with finesse football heads, you know, all for their TRD type stuff. You know, still focusing on growing that finesse application. You got Missile Bates, good friend of, of Bass Edge Radio, John Cruz. Missile Bates coming out with a finesse trailer. Why? Because he came out with a finesse jig a few years ago. Everything kind of getting smaller. You've got um, some medium running lures, you know, kind of depth zones that weren't focused on in the past. You've got Rapala had the square bill with the brat. Now they're coming out with the mid-depth BX brat. Going to dive, you know, five to six feet instead of that three feet. Kind of hitting some depth zones that they weren't targeting previously. Of course, they had the DT6 and, and, and that kind of stuff. But Yeah, but um, now it's almost like we are getting this kind of down to the micro zones um, yes. and, and that to me is a finesse category within itself you know when, you, when you're starting to refine things within six eight inches of, of running depth that, that's that's getting it, it taken it, pretty serious take that to another step they came out with a dt8 right so you had the dive two series you had the dt4 dt6 dt i think it was dt10 dt 15 dt20 you know you had these gaps right and and now you go from dt6 now dt8 to dt10 so just what you're talking about you know getting more specific so then you've got you know some of the accessory stuff you've got uh some of the uh football jig you know accessories with the waggle hook behind it instead of the standard you know a fixed lead to the hook now you've got that kind of more swing head scenario i gotta throw out hayabusa coming out with um wacky rig floor carbon guarded wacky hook which is a, a great addition to our lineup um kind of more of a medium to heavy action wacky hooks so you can target heavier cover and use heavier lines so you're not and tweaking pull on out a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. So again, same style, working on covering more in-between finesse tactics. Then we had uh, Reigns came out with the uh, NR jig head, which is Ned Rig jig head with a guard. So um, just kind of up in the ante there uh, with a nice weed guard on their tungsten composite Ned Rig head. So those are some things that I took away from ICAST, but definitively finesse oriented. And you see that push in the game of bass fishing right now, Aaron. Yes. Yeah, and, uh, you know, one of the people that you mentioned in that group, it doesn't matter. I firmly believe he can have uh, one hand tied behind his back and he's still going to be able to catch him. And we're fortunate enough to have him on today. It's not often you could say number one in the world. <laughs> That's right. Y'all stay tuned. Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight coming up with a BBT Angler, Jacob Wheeler. Hang tight. This is professional bass angler Cody Huff. This is professional angler Daryl Gleason. This is 2020 U.S. Open champion Tim Klinger. This is Bass Pro Tour angler Ish Monroe. I am FLW title champion Rusty Slusky. This is Jason Christie, BASS Elite Series champion on Bass Edge Radio. Stay tuned. You know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat? MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat. Guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. 
Also from MegaWare Keelguard, Skegguard, FlexStep Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keelguard. The number one ranked bass fishing angler in the world is with us today. He is having another amazing year, just as he had the past several years since coming on to the national fishing scene. Super pumped to have MLF BBT angler Jacob Wheeler on this episode. Thanks for coming back on Bass Edge Radio, Jacob. Man, I appreciate you guys having me on, man. It's always a treat to, to talk to you all and talk a little bit of bass fishing. Well, Jacob, I've got to tell you, I was served notice by the IRS that they said if you continue winning and we keep having you on here, we're going to have to claim you as a dependent um, for Bass Edge Radio. So anyway, and of course, I'm talking about congratulations on yet another win, this time on the St. Lawrence River in New York. You know, you continue to, uh, to make every event, every situation, every species look easy to figure out and pattern quickly what's in the magic sauce jacob i don't know how else to ask it we've we've talked about this so many times yeah i mean there's you know i i, I can't i don't know man you just you know i think that in, in, in the moment of when everything is going right and you're just making those good decisions there's a time like where you just feel like you're dialed in and you just like everything you're doing is is the right decision at the right time the strategy behind it and i just feel like that's just most of these events as of recent have been been like it just it just comes to you you know and it's just like things are just everything clicks i've also had tournaments plenty of tournaments where everything doesn't go right and 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 but you know fortunately i've had more of the good ones than the bad ones now and so uh i think it's it's a progression of your career you sort of get better as the years go on and you start to realize some of the bad mistakes you make whether that's through practice whether that's through wasting time in the, in the event and then of course with the MLF format there was a learning process in that as well you know and in, in figuring out how to strategically plan for multiple days because it's not like you know you have to be able to manage fish and but you also it's really hard to do when when you have you know it's it's taking over 100 pounds to make the championship round at the St. Lawrence River you know 100 pounds of fish is a lot so it's definitely a, a fun ride and I'm definitely enjoying it but you know it's, it's hard to put a finger on it and say hey this is exactly what it is it's just been a lot of fun though yeah you know i definitely want to mention too that we haven't had you on the show since you won over there at lake travis as well the last time we talked to you I, I can't remember exactly when it was but it was probably through red crest and and some of those other events but um these last two wins have really been impressive and different for that matter when you come into an event, do you feel like before you even get there that you've already set yourself apart in some way, shape, or form before you hit the water? Let's start before you get to the event because I really want to break down and kind of dig into expressing to Bass Edge listeners, myself <laughs> included, you know, how you know just this process that you have a process, whether you're putting your finger on it or not. There's something that's going on there that is, I don't want to say evolution, but it's a continuous set strategy that you know it's working mm -hmm. for you not that you do it consciously but it's definitely got to be a subconscious process that you're going through so i want to start with prior to getting to the water what is yes and, and jacob you can't say it's listening to baby shark fifty thousand times that's with right olivia. that's what <laughs> it's it not is. gonna cut that it is here. what it is <laughs> olivia olivia yeah she's she's making you listen to that but you're you're thinking like okay how do i catch the next shark at hey, st lawrence <laughs> it's, yeah it's the, it's the it's the baby shark remix guys gotta tell you 
the baby shark. No, um, man, it's, it's really interesting because I, I've worked at, at both those winds. And you know what's so – I just spend countless numbers of hours prepping before I even get to the body of water. I mean, I'm sure I spend – my wife probably is like, what the heck? She knows the deal now. She understands it. But back in the day, I, I spend so much time on Google Earth. I'm constantly thinking and planning. But you know what's so interesting about those both of those two events? I had an idea in my mind. And you hear about this preconceived notions or preconceived ideas of exactly how you're going to fish. Right. You don't want to do that necessarily. And that being bad. And I had it exactly in my mind planned to Travis that I was going to catch these fish out offshore. They should be out a little bit. There should be, you know, shad spawn thing going on, which there was a shad spawn. I was actually on Chickamauga practicing my skipping on boat docks the week before I even started practice because I anticipated that to be a, a bite there for that event and ended up winning doing that. So that was a good guess. But I also, I really anticipated the offshore deal to be starting to play and it never did. And I, I tried to force it. I and mean, I spent all this time with the looking at stuff because the water was down and marching places that I thought these fish would get out. And it never transpired, you know. And, and so there's sometimes you just have to roll with what the fish are telling you. And that was sort of that pattern developed throughout. I never anticipated to win just off of the shad spawn or off of boat docks. And that's sort of how it just sort of rolled into what they were doing. And that's, you know, you have to listen to the fish and what they particularly are wanting. And now with, you know, really good electronics and everything else being able to see underneath docks and be able to see sort of how their their moods are and what they're doing throughout the day. There's value there as well. So that's sort of one thing. But the next event at St. Lawrence River, you know, is sort of interesting because I had my mindset like, hey, you know, I'm I'm gonna stay in the Waddington pool. I've actually spent some time in the Waddington pool and the and the Messina pool before and I'd been up there when they were spawning and I was like, well, you know, it's a good idea to maybe start there. And and so I sort of put almost all my eggs while I was researching in that pool. And I went up there that first morning of practice, spent two hours there and said, no, nah, this ain't it. And literally put my boat on the trailer and drove 70 miles towards the lake and brought my boat in the water and, and started crossing down there because they just weren't in the phase that I wanted to be in. And I figured, you know, typically because the water comes from Lake Ontario is colder, the spawn is going to go towards the lake. So that's why I was like, nope, they're not in that process. I'm out. So there's times that like all this prepping and preparing does help, but there's also times that you have to make adjustments instantly just on the fly. And I think those are the biggest decisions that are made are the ones that you make during practice, during the tournament to abandon what you might have found or what, you know, and, and try to go do something different. Generally in that two day practice period, while kind of still talking about this prior to you hit the water deal are you looking to stay in a certain section of the lake or certain section of the body of water you're fishing because you have limited practice time obviously you didn't do that at st lawrence but that was because you saw a preconceived behavioral pattern that might play to your desires of how you wanted to fish the tournament right yeah it sounded so simple like that just flew off your tongue like well they're just going to be spawning later out there at the mouth of the river because the lake's close by and it's colder water that sounds like crazy dumb (laughs) fundamental and oh by the way i drove 70 miles to make that happen (laughs) (laughs) just i'm just here to tell you bro 45 to 50 other anglers never freaking had that thought yeah i mean they're just not thinking that deep so you know that's just taking it another level on the analytical front from a behavioral standpoint, which do you think that, you know, you generally throw the dart at, uh, you know, what the seasonal behavior patterns going to be? Because we all have to figure out where to start somewhere, right? And and we have 100%. fundamentals of fishing. 
right? I mean, you got seasonal behavior patterns. I, I work with uh, youth anglers a lot, you know, like in my fishing camp. They're always asking me, man, well, I don't know where to start. How do you decide where to start? And that's part of the camp is to talk about those fundamentals, seasonal behavior patterns, water temperatures, those types of things. And you're taking it to a different place because now you're talking about the ecosystem and how the environment works, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's tough. I mean, it's, it's just something that you, I feel like you just learn as you go. And, and there's so much, I mean, I learn every single day I'm on the water. I think that's the biggest thing is if you look at the best fishermen, you know, most decorated fishermen in the history, I look at like some of the best of all time. I think the Rick Clunt, I think Kevin Van Dam, right. they're constantly still learning. That's what makes it so much fun. If you get to the point where you can place it and you're, and you're just like happy about what you know, you're going to fall behind. And so I think that that's something is never being satisfied and be like, oh, this is just how it's going to be. I mean, there is things that I look at that are different. I think that, yeah, I mean, you have to. When you asked about like, you know, hey, you practice in one area. So in the MLF format, each are different. You know, they, they both have a lot of strategies. So a five fish traditional, five fish format over MLF format, every fish counts. Typically, you're better off trying to find the zone and staying in that zone and understanding it because you can't be moving around a lot. Where in a five-fish format, I might fish 60 miles because I'm only trying to catch five. You know, I could run here, I could run there, I could run, you know. So that's that's typically, you know, just over the years, that's definitely a huge, from what I've learned, a huge deal in confining yourself to an area. But the problem is with that, and this is the issue, the problem with that is if you pick the wrong zone, very much so like I did the first day of practice in the first two hours, and I felt like I picked the wrong zone, you can get stuck and have a bad event if you just live with it. So that's a tough thing. <laughs> it's a yeah, tough yeah. deal. You got to sort of pick, you know, you know, you spin the wheel and you're like, all right, I'm going to stay. I'm going to do this right here. And um, sometimes you're going to guess wrong. I mean, that's just part of it. And, you know, to your point earlier, Jacob, the great ones, right, mm-hmm. always make it look easy. And you're certainly in that category in any sport, whether it's Roger Federer in tennis or you can name mm-hmm. any great athlete. But it's almost because I think, you know, the problem in articulating is just because that your antennas are always up, right? And you're always taking in information mm-hmm. perhaps in and maybe not attaching an emotional component to whether it's right or wrong. It's just, this is how it is and this is what I must do, action, reaction. So when you are on the water and kind of talking about the practice, if you were to give Bass Edge Nation one kind of nugget, what do you think would be the takeaway that most anglers aren't doing or that they're not real good at, kind of to Kurt's further point, that you're just simply better at? Man, you know, it's it's so hard to pinpoint an exact deal, but I think that in the tournament decisions are everything. That is what changes, you know, everybody can go out there. A lot of people can go out there and they can fish and practice and they can go catch them. Uh, they can go fish the places they caught them at and, and make it work. The things that are hard and only a handful of people that I look at, like Odd Defoe, look at Brian Thrift, I think there's guys like that are really good at this, is making adjustments within the event. When that clock is ticking, a lot of people freak out. They get that pressure, whether it's short tracker, whether they're trying to catch fire them, whatever it is. They freak out and they have to go to the exact place that they got to bite. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes you have to let the day go come to you. And so I, I will actually fish around a little bit. You get messed up by doing that too, by like wasting too much time. But I mean, like that first day of that tournament, I had an area, I had a mindset of like what they were doing. And then like, it just dawned on me, like in the middle of that day, like I actually caught half the fish that I caught on day one were brand new 
fish in different areas, but it was just that it instantly like clicked. I'm like, that's what they're doing. Huh. And so it connected and then I just ran with it. I think that that's the biggest thing is people get so caught up with their practice and that's the Bible to them. Like this is what's happening that they completely miss the clues that they get within the tournament to make the adjustment to get them a good solid finish and have a good day on the water. It makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. And, and it is hard to adjust. You know, we could take a look at the uh, recent Champlain Elite Series event. You know, Brian Schmidt, great friend of mine, had two awesome days, right? And he uh, was catching largemouth, you know, rock areas and yeah and and doing really well and he knew he was kind of running out of fish but it's one of the hardest things to do is adjust as you're winning or doing well in a tournament to stay on top he was able to kind of clinch it and hold on in a lot of cases we see jacob wheeler and i think the reason you're so dominant in a lot of these events is because no matter what you're always continuing this adjustment and evolving into more and better bites than the other 80 anglers that are fishing that same body of water and that's what's making a bit of a difference and and part of it's probably confidence and faith right yeah for sure confidence is probably the biggest thing you have that confidence in yourself confidence in making those decisions i think that it just flows it's you're not sitting there like you're completely 100 percent trusting every decision that you make is the right one and, and it might not be at the end of the day but you you believe it is in your heart, you, you think it is. And so if you have that confidence, it's like, well, no one else is going to tell me to do any different. I'm going to go out here and I'm going to catch him doing this. And that sounds good to me. And that's what my mind thinks. And like, hey, I'm going to figure it out. And if I make a bad decision, it's on me. But it is the most difficult thing to do, especially when, see, when you're successful or when you're having a good tournament, it, that's probably the most, that's the hardest thing to do. Like when Schmidt or, or, you know, was in that, in that moment where he's got to make an adjustment because at the end of the day, everything else is not working for him and he's trying to beat a dead horse. That is the hardest moment in bass fishing over the years that I've seen and I've been in. It are those moments because it's like, man, I'm, I'm here at this point for a reason. I'm at the top of the leaderboard for a reason, but everything that I have is done and you have to like, and it's, it's tough when you don't have a clue though. That's the thing. The toughest part of that moment is if you don't have a clue, if you do not have a clue and you're sitting there and you're just like, all these pieces are gone and you're like, I'm, I know I'm leading this tournament, but everything that I have is shot. What do I do now? That is the toughest part. Now, if you get a clue, it's like, all right, let's go ride with this. But there's plenty of days that you'll be out there and you'll be competing and you will never get that clue. It, it is what it is. I mean, it's part of the game. On this MLF deal, you know, the strategy played with you uh, using heavier line to horse in the smallmouth that you were catching all bed. For Bass Education that doesn't know, a lot of the anglers in that particular event were catching fish on light lines, spinning rods, catching smallmouth on bed. Jacob did some of that too, but he caught a Absolutely. lot of fish. What, what was it? 17 pound test, 20 pound test. I was just throwing 12. I just 12. threw 12. No, I was throwing 17 on my bait caster, which I did boat flip quite a few, four and five pounders. <laughs> right. But right. my thing is with what you're saying, you know, upping your pound test was like 12 I and mean, 12 is I mean, a decent amount for swimming. I think you typical, 12 you know, typical right. down test is probably eight, you know, eight is probably the, the norm. Tens bumping it up and 12 is like, huh. Big line. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's bigger, you know, it's bigger. And I think it comes down to a lot of different things. But in that situation was, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a little bit bigger. I mean, the thing is, it's a scenario of what it was is, is all right, listen, I'm, I'm sitting here and if there's a fish on the bed and he wants, he goes and bites my lure, like, is he really caring about that line? 
Like, mm, probably not. I'm not sitting there trying to finesse a school of smallmouth that has been pressured for 100 days, you know, and there's a lot of variables that go into line. I don't even think a lot of times lines that big of a deal, diameters that big a deal as far as visually them for seeing it. I think it's more the action of the bait than anything. But that's another talk for another day. I've used this several times. I have. I have definitely used it several times. I've even done it a lot even um where you get those if you're just getting those fish even the super tournament last year i was still throwing eight and ten i threw some 12 as well um sturgeon bay i threw some 12 it just depends on the fish and the fishery and then really ultimately how much pressure they're getting and receiving it seems like the the pound test and it really comes down to the baits you're throwing and then and, and the rate of fall and all of these things that actually dictate and now with forward-facing sonar, you can see how they react. I think that's the biggest thing now. You know, like, hey, if I pitch out there with a drop shot on a 12-pound test with, you know, uh, uh, Guggen baits and rattling net, and they both have a rattling net on there, and I pitch out there with one with eight and one with 12, and they bite both of them, you're like, well, why don't I just throw the one with 12? Yeah. Just so Bassage Nation is clear, the reason you utilize that, you're catching 30, 40, 50, some odd, 60 fish a day, whatever it was. But you were able to horse several of those fish in quickly, not take two, three minutes to, you know, finesse the fish to the boat like some of the other competitors were doing. And so it gave you more time to catch more fish. Yeah, so it was strategy-wise yeah. based on the MLF format. And even if you were in a five-fish situation, it's like, Absolute like you said, same you're going to eat 12 Duh, you know, right? Same, so how much time deal. do you think that it Absolutely. saved you, Jacob? Mm, I mean, I don't know if I put, like, the numbers to it. Like, I mean, I think it would – it was just a strategy in my mind that, like, it didn't make sense to – Enough to like, make it, out it a deposit slip. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was – it was t- it was probably thirty minutes. I'm sure. I'm sure the way I was fighting them, it was probably thirty minutes. But the key with those smallmouth is you just have to get your head up. Yeah. Their their power is in their head of getting down and being able to use their body against you. Right. If you can get their head up, they jump and you get their head up out of the water. It's over. You know, it's just a problem. It, it it's just if they get their head down, you're gonna be there a minute. It doesn't matter if it's a two and a half pounder or a five pounder. And you say 30 minutes and 30 minutes when fish are on bed, that's probably finding two, three, maybe four fish and and having time to uh, catch them very quickly again. So big difference. And and even if they're just two pounders, that's eight pounds. (laughs) Yeah, no doubt. That's awesome stuff. All right. We're diving into a lot of cool stuff here. I need everybody to hang tight. We're going to just kind of go to a short pause in the action as we power pull down here. Jacob, Aaron, and I will return right after this message. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the Power Pole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, Power Pole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, Power Pole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. Power Pole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge is rolling along as we are presented in part by Mercury Marine, returning with MLF BPT Pro Jacob Wheeler in the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. That's right, Lucas Oil High Performance Marine Products. Be sure and visit the BassEdge.com store for free shipping on all Lucas products. It works. Jacob, before we continue down the path that we were, I do want to take an opportunity. I want you to explain to uh, Bass Edge Nation just uh, tell us a little bit about your foundation and, you know, some of the great things that you have going 
on um, kind of separate from your competitive fishing? Yeah, something that's been important to me is is giving back to the youth. I, I look at a lot of kids. Um, you know, I'm 30 years old now, and I look at where a lot of these kids are at now in high school and college fishing, and it just reminds me a lot of myself. You know, they have a dream, they want to get to a position where they could potentially fish professionally for a living, and if that doesn't work out, you know, work in the industry and and so I started the Wheeler Fishing Foundation uh, just this year. I mean, we're start kicking it off with a college event called the College Bass Shootout. This fall in Chickamauga, there's 100 teams, 200 anglers um, that will be competing this fall in September on, on Lake Chickamauga and for $10,000. So it's a no-entry fee deal. Wow, um, awesome. Took like 10 hours for the field to be set. I mean, it was, it was uh, full very quickly. But it was, How did you it announce was, you know, it? Just like start... social media? Or, or how, how did you get the word out there that, that you were going to have this event through your foundation? So I started a, uh, a Instagram profile um, for Weather Fishing Foundation that I have some, you know, the team working on that as well. And then we sort of announced it there. I, um, I announced it on my page. I'm keeping people in the loop on my Wheeler Fishing accounts, and then my wife and I did a um, I did a did a video on on YouTube as well, sort of getting people um, and understanding, giving them heads up on what was going to come down the pipe. Um, you know, and that was sort of it was crazy because like you know we're, we're still just trying to figure out. My wife has really been a huge help in all of this, which she always is, and just helping organize a lot of the things and trying to get everything dialed in. But that was sort of the, the start of it all. You know, you announce this foundation, you, you know, you're figuring out this tournament. Um, and it's sort of a unique, it's a unique format. You know, we're going to do uh, 100 teams, day one, top four will advance on. Um, the biggest bags in a five fish format will advance on, away them in, traditional format. And then it will go to zero, and it'll be a major league fishing format. And that time of year on Chickamauga, a lot of the fish are pretty skinny. It can be pretty tough, truthfully, to be honest with you. You know, 10, 10 pounds, it's hard. It's not always the easiest catch. A traditional keeper is probably about a pound and a half, even a 15-incher. So I'm going to do a pound and a half minimum that final day, and it'll be, you know, that uh, the best team went, you know takes all. We'll actually film that. It'll be on the YouTube channel. It'll be the College Bass Shootout, and it'll actually be streamed the following week. So it's going to be a lot of fun, you know, but it was just sort of an idea that we've had for, for several years now. COVID put it, sort of took it away a little bit last year and then we were able to sort of jump back on and I'm, you know, super pumped to, to see how it all shakes out. We'll have to continue to watch that again. It's the college bass shootout. I'm sure that, uh, Jacob, you're going to continue having some great things going on with that foundation and folks can check that out at www.wheelerfishingfoundation.org. So, uh, we will definitely stay tuned to, uh, some great programs and, uh, exciting things that you're doing there. All right, Jacob, during August, you're on a reservoir because I'm trying to dig back into that that fishing brain of yours. <laughs> and and uh, <laughs> I'm going to throw out a lake like Bugs Island, right? No, it's not a current-oriented lake. Bugs Island, solid. Used to be a big tournament fishery there in southern Virginia. It's one of those fisheries. There's, there's not a lot of current, which we have – you know, anglers fishing a lot of lakes like this throughout the country. It's, you know, you hear a lot about the TVA stuff and, and uh, because there's so many events there. And of course, it's just a huge body of water. But there's a lot of folks in the country that are fishing reservoirs that don't have a lot of current. How are you going to locate bass quickly in this kind of seemingly August tough time of year? And what tactics will you use to quickly locate bass? 
Yeah, I mean, August is a really tough time of year because more so than anything, that's the transition, the biggest transition that a lot of the bass do. I look at July as a transition a little bit, but a lot of times, sometimes there's still some pushing out, trying to get out there offshore. When it hits August, a lot of that year's shad spawn hatch is starting to get to where it's big enough where a substantial population of the bass in that body of water will actually start to feed on it. And they start to blow up on that. And they really start, that's when it gets really tough because they get so dialed in on that small bait, you know, and that can be tough. It goes into September and everything else. But if I'm looking at Bugs Island, I probably would look, I've never actually been there before. So I'm sort of thinking of what I've seen throughout from research a little bit and looking at the lake maps and stuff like that. There's really three different things I'm going to look at. I'm probably going to be in that eight to 12 foot stuff, you know, looking for isolated pieces of cover, whether it's brush piles, stump rows, that in-between zone, because a lot of those fish that might be out there offshore will start to venture up there in that in-between stuff. And you know, the oxygen levels get a little bit lower. The fish start to push shallow. Definitely be one of the main deals that I will look at. Definitely looking at pockets and places that I would think the bluegill would be spawning in that time of year can be a very good pattern for some really big fish and then you start to look up the rivers and the back ends of the creeks i mean that's probably the three things that i'm going to look at if i'm going to bugs island in august you know it's tough but those are the things that i'm going to sort of you know at least be rigging up for trying to prep and prepare secondary points places you know adjacent to where these fish are going to slide back up and start to move up there. It's, it's more of a forage thing than anything. You have to think of what are they feeding on? Where is the bait at? What is their ultimate goal as a bass? That time of year is just to eat. So it's not like it's a spawn where he's trying to pre-spawn and get ready or she's trying to pre-spawn and get ready to go up there and spawn later on in the spring. There's not really that end goal there to where you're like, oh, well, he's gonna, they're going to eventually go to this pocket. It's not it's not that easy all the time. That's why I think it's so hard. Their main goal is just to be feeding up and and trying to get ready for for the fall and the wintertime. And kind of taking that a step further, Jacob, you know, in August, would your approach differ, let's say, from like a lowland reservoir, as an example, doesn't have to be this one, but let's say like Lake, I don't know, Lake Seminole versus a, a highland reservoir, for example, like a Lake of the Ozarks? Well, yeah, I think the biggest thing is cover. So you, you look at like Lake, Lake the Ozarks, you know, you have boat docks. That's the most prominent piece of cover out there on that body of water. But other than that, you have some brush piles. You have, you know, you only have a handful of things there. Where at Seminole, you have grass, you know, and you have so much grass. So that changes the dynamic a lot, you know, so that scatters fish out. You have timber. So you have to definitely adjust according to the fishery. And I definitely, you know, on a grass fishery, I might have to go, you know, in August, that time of year, I'm probably going to flip a little bit of grass. I'm going to probably look for a fish that are in that 8 to 12 foot zone, same probably zone, that mid-depth zone in my mind. But I'm probably going to be using a lot more time flipping grass. I might spend, you know, very similar, spend some time up the river looking for the, the where the oxygen levels are a little high and we haven't been pressured because that group of fish hasn't been able to, to win any tournaments until it's gotten so tough. Those are the things that start to transpire. And, and it does change a little bit from highland reservoirs to lowland reservoirs, but it's more so about the cover that's really there and the structure and really what those fish have, have to really get around. And so like, I think grass fishers will change it a little bit, but a lot of it still stays fairly similar. I still will probably look for a bluegill spawn up shallow to try to understand if they were up there, fish are up there, you know, feeding on those bluegill as well. So, I mean, it's close, but it, it does change a little bit. 
Jacob, before we dive off into the listener question, one one uh, final thought that I would like to get from you, and that is, you know, working, let's say, whether it's with your foundation or up-and-coming anglers or anglers that maybe are later in life that's just getting into the sport and wanting to get into competitive fishing. Obviously, you have, you're a young guy, 30 years old, but you've been traveling the country for quite some time. What could you pass on or what advice would you give to anglers that are trying to learn the fisheries like you've been fortunate to do to be able to build a successful career in tournament bass fishing? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the biggest thing, and you hear this all the time, but I'm, I'm going to go deeper into this. You know, there's no substitution for time on the water. That is true, but it's work ethic. It's understanding that, hey, listen, what happens is a lot of times you'll go out there and say you're fishing a Lake Champlain or a Lake Chikamaga, and you go out there and you're going to pre-practice for this event or prepare for this event. It's so hard not to go back to the same areas and go check them out. Oh, man, I can, you catch a couple bass, you get locked into the exact same bait room the last 10 years, you know, of, of being on that body water or the last, couple, you know, last time you were there. You have to go with a clean slate, and you have to go into it with a mindset when you go to these bodies of water and be disciplined to know, hey, listen, I'm going to put my time in in this zone and try to find a new deal on this body of water. I know I can go over here and catch them, and that's what I want to do, and that's what's fun because we all love catching bass. But you have to be disciplined and say, okay, listen, I'm not worried about catching bass now. i got to understand, hey, there might be a new area of this lake that I don't understand, and I need to really put my time in. There's people that I look at in this, in this industry that just have that strong work ethic, and they're very successful because of it. And some of them are supernaturally talented, and they're insanely good anglers on, on both sides. And some of them had to learn how to catch them good, but they're just such hard workers that they get it. They could eventually get those skill, get that skill set and understand it well enough to be super competitive or be very competitive in those events. So I think there's a combination of both that can be successful, but the common denominator is really truly is work ethic and how much are you willing to work and what are you willing to sacrifice? You know, there's a lot of time away from home. There's a lot of time away from my family and they sacrifice a lot while I'm out there on the road. But I, I understand that you have to be out there constantly searching, constantly thinking. And if you get complacent in this sport, you will fall behind. Yeah, it's it's amazing to me, Jacob, the effort, not the effort that you put in. I mean, first of all, we, we like bass fishing because we like to fish. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. why that's why no, we no. all got started. We like to fish. We like to catch bass. But but taking it to the level that I, I believe that you had some early foresight, you know, in, in the fact that, hey, I've got to learn these bodies of water better than anything that anybody else that I'm competing with knows. And you've been able to put yourself, you know, you can't say you know everybody or I can't say that you know everybody of water better than, you know, some of the other 80 competitors in the BBT or whoever you're competing no. with. But I guarantee because of the effort and time that you put into learning these things, not only behind the computer and at home and, and seasonal behavior patterns, but actually physically being out there and on these places and making that sacrifice to be away from home and uh, having the will and desire to be at the top of the game, that's really kind of where you're at in your career and what set you apart. Do you feel like you're still out there as much as you were earlier in your career or do you feel like you've kind of settled in now with the venues and, and how tournament fishing sets up as we know it? See, that that's such an interesting deal because, like, you know, I, I look at, um, I, I, I think about this and, and, and fisheries go through, transition they go through times where you know 
bass will get, you know, in certain areas, the lake will be really hot for some years and then they'll, they'll get, they'll get really tough or whatever that personally right now, I I'm still practicing pretty. I mean, if I know I didn't pre-practice for the St. Lawrence River, I didn't pre-practice for the, you know, Travis actually the two that I actually, you know, won, but I still put my time in. If I've not gone to a fishery and I don't know a fishery or I've never been there, I have to go there and see the playing field. For me, it's just, it's an understanding. So I'll go to a fishery if I've not been there, that's on the schedule just to see the playing field and understand, okay, the dynamic of that fishery. It allows for you to sit there in those 30 days that's prior to that event, weeks, months and, and um, prior to that event, and really think about it and, and understand how it sets up. It's one thing looking at Google Earth and seeing, oh, well, there's grass here and that, but what kind of grass is that? What kind of, you know, what's the water clarity look like now? All oh, that grass is there anymore and understanding a little bit of those dynamics i think that's the biggest thing is there's so many variables in bass fishing that you need to try to control as many as you can and so like i don't go out and pre-practice as much as i used to because i do have a little bit better understanding but you know when i have the opportunity to like it uh after i I won the first round up there at st lawrence river i drove straight over to champlain and spent a day and a half over there practicing for the next event or next PPT right. is up there on Champlain, you know? So you're utilizing your time wisely is just, you know, that's the biggest thing. I could have sat there in the hotel room and twiddled my thumbs and, you know, whatever, but those are the things you have to do no matter how well you know it. I, I also see people that I look back on that have had a lot of knowledge of a fishery and have gotten really good at a fishery, but then they lean on just a handful of places too much. And what happens is those places aren't nearly as good as they used to be. And the fishery has changed. Dynamics have changed. And then they fall behind and then they all of a sudden start missing checks and missing cuts because they're just so dependent on what they knew from years past. And that's changed now. So I've seen that happen several times. So you can't, there's a little bit combination of both. That's funny. We actually just talked about that in, in a recent episode about uh, changing, the, you know, environments and how uh, fisheries yeah. go through an ecosystem change and and how if you're if you're there on a weekly basis, you don't really notice the change. But if it's six months, eight months, two years, then those changes become more profound and and you've got to be able to adjust mm-hmm. to those, just like you're talking about, or you're going to get stuck in that rut someplace where you used to be, the you know, really well off and and cash consistently potentially you become uh, behind the scenes uh, or behind the game. Yeah, look at behind the process of the look at that, um, of the fishery. 100%. Look at that event. Okay, here's a, here's a good one for you. Look at Lake Oneida. You know, we fished that several times in events, you know, in the last five to seven years. Yes. That place was a schooling fish place. They were running around all over the place. Now those fish are built differently. Now they have gobies in there and they relate differently to what they have. Absolutely. So you can't necessarily go back to the same deal and expect to catch them because they're not dependent on those shad or those bait fish as much as they once were. Now their diet really consists of gobies. 100% agree. That's so funny. I just did a, a youth fishing camp over there, and uh, we were talking about the same thing we while we were there because you just don't catch them on poppers and walkers like you used to back in the day. You know, mm-hmm. they were more perch runners, and, and now they're just really concentrating on, on bottom-oriented feed, uh, you know, crawfish, gobies, and they just seem to always kind of have their, their – head down rather than their head looking up. I mean, sure, you're going to get a topwater bite here and there, but it's not yeah. 
it's not the same place or doesn't fish the same as it used to. So great, great example. And Jacob, we're going to move right into the listener question, man. This has been an awesome interview and appreciate you helping us kind of dissect your success uh, so that we can better understand what potentially could make us successful on the water. This segment brought to us by Nitro Performance Bass Boat, this question sent in from an angler in South Carolina. Kind of an interesting question, a little more oriented to early summer. I think than where we're at now in late summer, but they ask this, what time of day should you stop fishing bushes and tree lines and start fishing offshore timber ledges and laydowns? You know, it's, that's an interesting question because I, I, I've also realized it might be the opposite way, you know, and that, and that's so interesting to me because I've seen several times where that shallow water cover is not as good until the, the sun gets up. Really my favorite time of day to actually fish shallow laydowns and, and shade lines and stuff like that is between 9 and 11 o'clock, 9 and 12 o'clock. Typically, I will start offshore in the morning. Now, if I don't have a really good understanding of the offshore bite, because a lot of times those fish that are out there offshore, they're actually there in the morning. It could be a very good morning feed, and you can catch those fish. But there's always a lull between like a 9 o'clock to midday, 9 to 12. It's always one of the toughest times of fishing that I think we go through really across the country. And that is when I start to fish for those isolated fish that are up there on the bank. Because I know and I realize, hey, listen, this is going to be a tougher time of a day. But then it's also that sun starts to position those fish a little bit more. They don't have, you know, especially since they're isolated and we're talking about summertime, I want to confine those fish to a little bit smaller shade pockets, those trees. Um, So that sun getting up allows me to do, you know, make those casts and really be able to cover efficiently you know, a, a bank a little bit more efficiently than I would be if maybe if that sun was down. And then the last, you know, towards the end of the day, then I'll go back out offshore because a lot of times that last two, you know, from one to three o'clock, that's, in my opinion, probably the best time to be out offshore. So I, that's how I would sort of attack it, you know, just from being from the outside looking in. I mean, that's probably, depending on the value of water, but that's that's definitely, I've seen several tournaments that I fished, you know, fished events just like that. Great answer there, Jacob, and appreciate you taking on that question and kind of flip-flop. Very, very interesting perspective there. And honestly, Kurt, kind of a weird deal. We have this anonymous you know, mystery, <laughs> right. mystery listener question from somebody <laughs> in South Carolina. So listen, if, if you are that person, that South Carolina listener that shot us that that question uh, we need one more thing from you and that is please email us at support at or simply click on the claim your prize tab on bassedge.com give us your information and we will get the bass edge gift sent out directly to you and let us know that jacob answered your question here on episode 357 and next time anybody sends in a question always send in their name with the question that'd be a great help but uh we've get so many questions aaron that i just thought that that one was a great one for jacob especially because he lives on a tva impoundment and uh you know that that summertime flip-flop can be a tough deal so um keep sending in these great questions either through our website click the ask the pros tab or comment on our Facebook or Instagram media pages, and we'll be happy to get these on the show. And uh, Jacob, hey, thanks again for carving out time. I know you're extremely busy and and certainly don't want to cut into uh, your future episodes of Baby Shark with Olivia. So uh, before we let you go, though, (laughs) just want to uh, see if you have any final thoughts for Bass Edge Nation. Man, I just appreciate you guys having me on. It's always great talking to you both. You know, you guys are a wealth of knowledge, Kurt. You know, we've been we've known each other for a long time, man. 
and same and just uh yeah. it's always great just sort of catching up with the boys you know it's been a lot of fun it's been a lot of a fun ride and and it's always good just to sort of catch up with you guys and, and, and check back in, man. Well, Jacob, it's going to be great following you over there at Champlain. Awesome to hear you put in that extra work over there. And then, of course, uh, the BBT wraps up in September at St. Clair. Man, you are sitting right on the edge of another Angler of the Year title. Best of luck to you in those remaining events, man. We'll, we'll be pulling for you, no doubt. I really appreciate you guys. Thanks a lot. Bass Edge Radio will be back with some final thoughts from Aaron and I. Don't go away. You know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat? MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat. Guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also from MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. The PowerPole Charge Marine Power Management Station is the most advanced system of its kind available on the market. It does the work of three devices, a traditional battery charger, a charge on the run, and an emergency start system all in one compact unit. The charge lets you run your boat's accessories the way you want to run them by allowing you to monitor and control your power usage through the PowerPole app. It automatically devotes power to the batteries that need it the most for maximum efficiency. The new charge from PowerPole. Power where you need it, power how you need it, power when you need it. Be at home with nature, with nature-inspired art, decor, and gifts by Wild Wings at wildwings.com. Explore art prints and canvas wraps of bass, trout, walleye, muskie, and more by acclaimed artists like Mark Sassino. I primarily paint underwater scenes of game fish and usually in a fishing situation, going after prey or going after a lure or a fly. I get asked sometimes whether I like fishing better or artwork. It would be tough to give either of them up. I can't really think of a good reason to give either up, so I'm going to stick with them. Make your home, office, or cabin show off your passion for angling. Visit wildwings.com backslash Bass Edge and sign up for an exclusive offer to Bass Edge listeners of 10% off your next order. Give something special to your loved one and be at home with nature. Visit wildwings.com backslash Bass Edge. That's wildwings.com backslash Bass Edge to get 10% off your next order of nature-inspired art, decor, and gifts by Wild Wings. Kurt, interview stands on its own. Information stands on its own. I just made a note, jotted down, you know, can't put a finger on it. A quote from Jacob, preparation stands out. I just want to point out, even things such as preparing for this interview, he reached out to you, had a question. So, you know, that is constant across all things Jacob Wheeler, not just his fishing. Yeah, dude's on point, man. He's, he's running a business, and that transcends from the interviews and and all he does with the media to his fishing and and it originally came from his fishing and now into the media so it's full circle for this guy man he he completes the freaking circle and that's what makes him special that's what makes him the number one bass angler in the world that's what makes him better 
than the rest in a typical event in most cases. He does some really cool stuff. You know, as far as his foundation now, he started as well. So, you know, he's bringing the whole package, man. And it's hard for him to put his finger on it. But if we keep asking questions and we listen to the interview back several times, we find out what's making him a little bit better than the rest. And um, that's the key to this interview. That's the key to Bass Edge Radio. That's the key to bringing the education to the audience to make us all, myself included, better anglers and how to get to the potential top of this game or whatever game it is that you're playing, whether it's your local club level, if it's, you know, weekend out on the water, just trying to catch as many fish as you can. This is the process. You dive into it. You look at some of the details that can help you be more successful. Yeah, and uh, referencing your quote, uh, whole package, total package, full circle, uh, we got all of that and then some from Jacob, and it's always a pleasure uh, to have him. Always a pleasure to be on the mic with you, and certainly both of us are very thankful that all of you uh, there in Bass Edge Nation continue to tune us in and uh, take this journey with us. In the meantime, we look forward to spending time again with everybody here in a couple weeks, August 5th. 15th to where we will have more all things bass edge with uh, hopefully another special guest coming up uh, be sure to stay on all things bass edge to our social media and certainly BassEdge.com. for kurt dove and the rest of the bass edge crew i am aaron martin so long everybody is presented by MegaWare KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com and be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Nitro Boats, Lucas Oil, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, PowerPole, and Transport Graphics.